So on one of the podcasts I was listening to uh, the other week, it was talked about how, how financial institutions, because of the way the economy works and this and that and all these different things, there's an increasing move amongst the, the big guys uh, to get into uh, what they would call wealth management. Um, now you may have noticed that when you go to the bank, they're always trying to uh, hook you up with, a, with a, an advisor, somebody that's going to give you advice and, and so on and so forth, but it, it just gets so very complicated, doesn't it? I mean, just for example, uh, there's a big difference between, I think I've got a slide here, there's a big difference between an advisor and an advisor. Just that one little letter, E or O, because advisors are regulated. If they're a financial advisor, they have a fiduciary responsibility to you. In other words, they have to do for you what's best. But if they're just an advisor, that's not the same thing at all. An advisor is not regulated, and they're basically a salesperson that's going to you know, sell you the products that's going to be uh, good for their institution. So it, it just gets so confusing, and it's so, uh, you know, in, in consultants and advisors and all these sort of things, and should we have one, should we have one, and so on. I was talking to Henry about this a few months ago, and I was saying, Henry, you know, I don't know, maybe I should get a financial advisor and so on. And Henry, who knows me very well, just looked at me and says, well, would you do what they told you anyhow? <laughs> So it's kind, of a, it's kind of one of those things, it's so, it's so, because that's the thing with advisors and consultants, isn't it? Is that we, they sort of give their advice, they give their consultation, and then we choose whether or not to follow it or not follow it. And so often, if you're kind of like me, you're kind of going around until you find a consultant advisor who agrees with me and then say, okay, he must be right, that's what I'm going to do. It's a temptation that is within our hearts. Now, this whole thing about being a consultant, being an advisor, and so on, that sort of uh, loomed large for me as I studied this passage that we're going to look at this morning. Very familiar passage. And so uh, let's take a look at it, and uh, you'll recognize it right away. It's one of the most beloved passages in the Gospel of John. But, but let's take a look and see what God has to say. So, John chapter 10, verses 1 through 21. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter by the sheep pen, by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. When he's brought out all of his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice, but they will not follow the voice of a stranger. In fact, they'll run away from him because they don't recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them, because to tell the truth, they didn't want to know. Therefore, Jesus said again, very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep, and all who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Who enters through me will be saved. They'll come in, and they'll go out, and they'll find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy, but I have come that they might have life and have life to the full. I'm the good shepherd. This is the part we love. I'm the good shepherd. 
And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd. And he does not own the sheep. There's not that investment in there. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and he runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and it scatters. And the man who runs away because he's a hired hand. And the truth be told, he cares nothing for the sheep. But I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep. And my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for my sheep. I've got other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. And I must bring them in also. And they too will listen to my voice. And they shall be one flock with one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life, but only to take it up again. No one takes it from me. It's my choice. I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. Uh, This command I received from my father. The Jews who heard these words were again divided. and Many of them said, he's demon possessed and raving mad. Why should we listen to him? But others said, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. I mean, can a demon heal the eyes of the blind. Can he do that? We think he's something so much more. There's a bunch of characters that we come across in this passage, isn't there? I mean, the first ones that we encounter are are the Pharisees. So who are the Pharisees in this passage of Scripture? Uh, Well, the Pharisees are also described by these other words in there. The Pharisees are the hirelings, the thieves, and the robbers. They're the same people in Jesus. Jesus is accusing them, these Pharisees, these people who said, we are the religious leaders. We're the ones that will guide you. We're the ones that will take you into the promised land. We're the ones that will be the ones that get you where you need to be. Follow us. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. What you actually are is a hireling, a hired hand, a thief, and a robber. It's interesting, the word that he's got for robber, it's kind of the same word like with the thief on the cross, you know, with Jesus. And it's, it's, it's insurrectionist. It's not just, you know, your petty thief that mugs people. The idea is, and Jesus is saying, listen, you say that you're a leader of my people. Truth is, you are an insurrectionist against the kingdom. You are working against the very one that you say you're leading other people towards. Now, last week, Ed did a great job of pointing out the irony in chapter 9 with the healing of the blind man and how the people that were supposed to be the ones that see are actually the ones who are blind and the one who was blind is actually the one who is the one that comes to the point where he sees them. And what Jesus is saying is you need to understand this is just, this is carrying on from that event. These words truly, truly, when you read that in the Gospel of John, he never uses that words, those words to talk about something new. It's kind of a little bit of a, a, a clue to us that Jesus is now going to explain what happened just before. And so he heals this blind man, he confronts these Pharisees, and he says, truly, truly, you know what? You guys are thieves, hirelings, and robbers. Because that's what they do. That's what they do. It's quite a picture in words um, that we have there, but to really understand, to really get what Jesus is saying to these people and to contrast them and Jesus, we've got to go back to the Old Testament. 
Because this whole passage in John uh, chapter 10 is built from an Old Testament passage by the prophet Ezekiel who lived, you know, like 550 years before or so. And, and this terrifying passage of scripture for anybody who would be any kind of a leader of God's people. In Ezekiel chapter 34, God is going to speak about shepherds. And he's going to do a contrast. And this is what he says. The word of the Lord came to me. That's how prophets often would begin. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to you, shepherds of Israel, who only take care of yourselves. Should not the shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds and you clothe yourself with the wool and you slaughter the choice animals, but you don't take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You, Pharisees, rulers, you have ruled them harshly. This is what Jesus is saying. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. And so they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became the food for all kinds of wild animals. My sheep have wandered all over the mountains and on every hill. They were scattered over the whole earth and no one has searched for them or looked for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, because my flock lacks a shepherd and has so been plundered and has become food for all the wild animals. And because my shepherds did not search for my flock, but cared for themselves rather than for the flock. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I'm against the shepherds. And I'll hold them accountable for my flock. And I will remove them from tending the flock so that the shepherds can no longer feed themselves. And I will rescue my flock from their mouths and it will no longer be food for them. For this is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so I will look after my sheep and I will rescue them from all the places where they are scattered on the day of clouds and darkness. And I will bring them out from the nations and I'll gather them from the countries and I'll bring them into their own land and I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel, in the ravines and in all the settlements in the land. And I will tend to them in good pasture. And the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. And there they will lay down in good grazing land. And there they will feed on rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I myself will tend my sheep and have them lay down, declares the sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. And I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. But the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. You see what Jesus is doing? He's, he's reaching back into what people who, like those Pharisees and the Jews of the day, would understand about the Old Testament. And he's reaching back and he's saying, you Pharisees that treat this blind person and cast him out just because he allowed me to heal him. You are these ones who are the shepherds, who are the hirelings that I am against. And because of how you treated people, I will lead my own flock. I will be the one who is the good shepherd. Who's the good shepherd? 
God. And in this case, God as Jesus. Jesus said, I am that good shepherd. I'm the one that's going to bind up the injured and lead people into good pasture. I'm the one that's going to go out into the nations and call out my people and bring back to myself the people who belong to me. I am the fulfillment, says Jesus, of what God promised those hundreds of years ago through the prophet Ezekiel. And because I'm he, these are the things that I'm going to do. First of all, I'm going to know you by name. What an amazing thing. What an incredible statement of intimacy. It's almost too hard to believe, isn't it? We sort of have to remind ourselves and allow the Spirit to to convince us of us that that God Almighty, Jesus himself, knows your name. He knows your character. He knows your victories. He knows your defeats. He knows your challenges. He knows your struggles. He knows your tears and he knows your laughter. It's this intimate knowledge of the shepherd to the sheep that Jesus is talking about. You know, this, I am the good shepherd. In the Gospel of John, there's seven what they call I am statements, right? We've seen them as we've gone along. We've, We've had several of them where, you know, I am the bread of life. I am the light of life. I am the gate. And this one, I am the shepherd. But you go through all seven of these, and we'll get there by the time we get to the end of John, you'll see that the, the only one that's really personal, the only one that's really intimate is God saying, I I'm your shepherd. I know your name. And I call you by name. I am the relational one. The second thing he says is, you know, as the good shepherd, I'm the gate. A bit of a controversy over this and what exactly he means and whether it's a separate thing or or a single thing. But but we'll go with the one that's kind of most popular. And it's this, that, that, that they tell us that in those days, in the opening of the sheep pen and they would function as a gate and they would be the ones that would make sure that the sheep stayed in and that the bad, the wolves stay out and so on. And it's this whole idea that that Jesus is saying, listen, you need to understand, I am here to protect my sheep from thieves and predators. When we follow Jesus, Jesus is saying, listen, I want to protect you in your life. I want to protect you in your experience from those that would lead you astray, from those that would devour you, from those that would harm you from those that would use you and exploit you. Follow me and allow me to be the one that protects you and I will care for you. Follow my teaching. And instead of being devoured, you will be nourished. Instead of being taken advantage of, you'll be nurtured. I am the gate for the sheep. But here's what everyone agrees with. Jesus saying, and not everybody agrees with whether or not it's true, Jesus is making a claim of exclusivity. He's saying, I am the gate. I am the way into the sheepfold of God. I am the way that you will come in to life. I am the way that you will come in to the people of God. I am the only way into life. I'm the gate. 
The other thing that Jesus says, and this is, I suppose, in some ways, the emphasis of the passage, he says that because I'm the good shepherd, I'm going to lay down my life. He says that uh, four times, verse 11, verse 15, verse 17 and 18. I mean, he's emphasizing this. He's saying, listen, do you understand that what makes me the good shepherd, what makes me the gate is that I lay down my life for you. It is by my death on the cross that I become the gate, that I become the way that you come into the kingdom of God. It is the way in which you become saved from the enemy, the ultimate enemy of death itself. It is because I lay down my life, that is how you are given life. Because my life becomes your life for all and for all eternity. I am the good shepherd, so I lay down my life for you. I don't have to do it. Nobody forces me to do it. I do it of my own will because I love you. And because I lay down my life for you, I provide you with the abundant life. Or I can provide you with the full life. That's a, a phrase with such meaning. Fundamentally, for those of course, it means that it's life with the absence of death. That is the abundant life, the life that is never ending, the life that is eternal. The abundant life is a life with intimacy with God where the richness of God's character and the richness of God's love in his heart is poured out upon us. That is the abundant life. It's a life of intimacy with God. It's a life of healthy relationships with the other sheep of the pasture. Relationships full of love and of grace and of forgiveness and of kindness as the character of God flows from him by his spirit into our hearts and into our lives. That's the abundant life. It's a life that's in contrast to robbers and thieves who take from you rather than give to you. God in Christ leads us out into the good pastures where we can be nourished and nurtured. It's interesting this word uh, for, for leading us out, my sheep lead, I lead my sheep out in verse 3, it's the same word that the Pharisees used to cast out. Remember at the end of chapter 9, they cast out the man who was paid blank because he was not saying what they wanted. Same word. But Jesus is saying, that, listen, you need to understand the people that are there to their own advantage, these false shepherds who don't care, they're in the business of casting out. I'm in the business of leading out to life. The fifth thing that Jesus says he does as the good shepherd is he says, listen, I am making one flock. I'm calling people out of all of the nations to make one flock. I'm building a harmony between the nations and between people. This is a marvelous, marvelous image of Jesus as the shepherd. It's this powerful uh, statement of, of deep care that protects and rescues and seeks out and delivers and brings back and, and makes up one flock out of Jews and Gentiles alike and says, no, listen, you're all mine and I'm the commonality and I'm the one that will bind you together no matter where you've been or where you've been. And we love this image of the caring shepherd, don't we? I mean, that's what the pictures are all like. You know, Jesus holding a lamb, Jesus with a lamb on his shoulders. We, we love that stuff and it's meaningful to it. And it should be and God means it to but there's a side of the shepherding that maybe is a little tougher to take. That maybe is, you know, a little bit less comforting and a bit more of a challenge. Because you see, what we need to understand about the shepherd is that the shepherd is also an autocratic, kingly ruler. The shepherd determines the when and the where and the how and the why of a sheep's life. 
He doesn't ask the sheep for advice. He doesn't ask the sheep for permission. He doesn't just kind of coax the sheep along and have a long conversation with them to say, this is why you need to come this way. He just leads the sheep and the sheep are expected to follow. The shepherd is an autocrat. And that's one of the reasons that this idea of being an autocratic leader, but also a caregiver, that's why the, the kings of Israel were described in scriptures as shepherds. That's how we talked about kings. This, this sense of, yes, there's the care and there's the responsibility and, and all of those things for provision. But there's this sense of authority and rulership, which is equally important. I'm the good shepherd. It's all of these things including being the autocratic ruler. Well, the, the other key <laughs> members of this club in chapter 10 here are the sheep. So who are the sheep? Well, I suppose they're potentially everybody. It's anybody who would listen uh, to the voice of the shepherd, no matter where they're scattered. The sheep are you and me. So what do we do? As sheep, what's our, what's our response to the shepherd? Well, number one, our responsibility is to recognize the shepherd's voice. Well, how do we get to recognize the shepherd's voice? Oh, there's all kinds of ways, I suppose. But some of them, for example, number one is that we, we spend time with the shepherd. This is this whole idea of why we have, you know, daily times of reading the scriptures, daily times of prayer, uh, daily times of, of just being conscious that God is with us. Because how do we get to know somebody? How do we recognize their voice? By spending time with them and hearing their voice and checking it out, is this your voice? And then pretty soon, you know, I can just phone up Sheen and start talking. I don't have to say, hi, Sheen, this is Alan phoning for my instructions today. <laughs> she knows right off the top. She understands these things because we love each other and we spend time together and we know each other intimately. We spend time in his presence. We get to recognize the shepherd's voice through scriptures. This is for sure. This is the inspired word of God. And to know his voice is to see it and hear it in the Bible and so we spend time in the scriptures and we ensure that these other ways that we believe we hear the shepherd's voice don't contradict us. We get to know the shepherd by being with the other sheep. Because the other sheep, our brothers and sisters in Christ, they, they tell us about their experience with the shepherd. And how the shepherd is leading them and how the shepherd is forming them. And as they talk to each other about these things, then they too and we too and I too get to know the shepherd more by spending time with the body. We get to know the shepherd's voice by that little whisper in your heart. That little sense that will guide you and lead you. That lines up with the word of God and the character of God. And as we, as we learn to listen and follow, we get to recognize that voice more easily in our moment-by-moment -moment life. The first thing that we do as sheep is we recognize the shepherd's voice. The next thing that we need to do is we need to choose the shepherd and not the thieves. Not the hirelings. The truth is that sometimes I, and I suspect you... Make hirelings and thieves my shepherd. 
We take all kinds of other people or institutions or, or isms as our shepherds, you know, capitalism or socialism or feminism or machoism or nationalism or internationalism. We take whatever ism, whatever theory, whatever, and we, we sort of make them our shepherd and we begin to view life through the isms that we take upon ourselves. But they will always fail us and they will always come short. Because when it comes to living my life, I need to ask myself, who really is my shepherd? Who am I allowing? What am I allowing to make me, uh, lead me? The songs I lead, the media, the movies, the teachers, the friends, the CBC, Rebel News. What is it? These things that, that all vie to lead us and shape us and take us to places. And our responsibility is to ensure that we choose the good shepherd. The good shepherd. And once we have chosen the good shepherd, then of course it's to follow the shepherd. This gets back to this autocratic leadership of the shepherd. I read one uh, writer, actually I think it was a letter I listened to, I forgot to write the guy's name down so I can't give credit, not me. But it's what centered in my heart in this whole thing. And said this, we like the image of Jesus holding sheep in his arms, but not so much the one who says when, where, and how we get places. And here it is. We don't want a shepherd. We want a consultant. We want somebody that we can just sort of go to to check out his advice. To just sort of say, hey, Jesus, I've got this situation. Uh, what do you think? What should I do? And, and if we like what we think that he says, well, then I'm going to go along with that. But then we don't like what he says, then we kind of do a bit of a cost-benefits analysis and say, you know what? I appreciate your advice, Jesus. I appreciate the consultation. But I'm going to do this because it makes more sense. The shepherd is an autocratic leader. He's not a consultant. He's not an advisor. He is to be the Lord of our life. And if we truly want to experience the full care and love of the shepherd, if we want to gain the benefits of the shepherd, then we have to follow, we have to obey the shepherd. You know, look at verse 17. That is a bothersome verse. That was a bothersome verse for me. Because this verse, Jesus says this, and you can kind of glance over it, but, but let's, let's spend a minute here. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. You know, and from lots of times, he oh, lay down my life, take it I said, the reason my father loves me. That sounds conditional, doesn't it? I mean, at first reading, I mean, just think about that for a minute. I thought about it for quite a a while. The reason my father loves me is that I obey him. So if I don't obey God, doesn't he love me? How does that fit? Where does that go? How do I understand that? What's Jesus saying there? It bothered me for a long time. But I was helped by New Testament scholar Rodney Whitaker. And and this is his take on it, and it makes sense to me. See if it makes sense to you. He says, look, what we know is that God is love. The Father is love. 
And we know that, that God's love is not contingent upon the attractiveness of the person that he's going to love, right? In other words, God's, I don't have to be a good guy for God to love me. I don't have to you know, measure up. This is the whole thing that we worry about. I don't have to measure up before God loves me. God loves me. So how, how does this verse figure into that? He goes on, he says this. Now, now follow this carefully. See if it makes sense. So God is love. God's love is not contingent upon how attractive or what a nice guy that I am. But what he says is that, listen, it's possible to fall out of what he calls the sphere of God's active love. Okay, that's important for you. The sphere of God's active love. And he said this, listen, we read in John, what does John say? John, God says, for God so loved the world, right? That he gave us one begotten son. So he said the world, God loves the world, but we know that the world is outside of God's active. The world is in, is in opposition to God. The world resists God. The world is not obedient to God. The world is following other shepherds, but God's love isn't diminished. The problem is he can't love us like he wants to love us when we are living in disobedience. We can't experience the full, gushing, overwhelming. I, I run out of words <laughs> of love. God can't just lavish everything upon us and within us and, and drench us and drown us in, in his love and in his grace and his goodness. He can't do that like he wants to do it if we're running away from him. We keep missing. Splash. And that's what he's saying here. Jesus saying that the Father is able to, to give the fulfillment of his love that he desires for me because I'm living within his will. And so he can give me everything that he wants to give me. God will always love you. No matter what. No matter what. No matter where you've been, where you go, what you do, what you don't do, God will love you. But he can only love us in the way he wants to love us. We can only experience the love of God in the way that God wants to experience and in the way that we want to experience him. If Jesus is our shepherd and not just our consultant. As we live into following the shepherd, we experience more fully the love of God. So this is a, a much loved chapter. And there's this marvelous, intimate image of Jesus as the shepherd, this, this picture of, of peace and safety and comfort and Jesus seeking us and binding us up and healing us and feeding all of these things. It's a marvelous, marvelous passage. And as I was going into it, you know, I was thinking, oh, you know, this is going to be a great passage of comfort. But honestly, for me, this time through, it's this passage of massive challenge. Because I, I had to ask myself the, the very legitimate question. Who or what is really my shepherd? 
Is there some ism that I read the words of Jesus through? Is there some other source that I look to for life and the guidance of life? Is, is he really my shepherd? And then the toughest one of all for me, because I know me, like Henry knows me. And is he truly my autocratic kingly shepherd? Or is he just my consultant that I'm going to go to and ask for a little bit of advice and what do you think I should do and he's going to give me this book, you know. Okay, here it is. You want my advice? Here it is. Thanks. I want you to know God's love for you. God wants you to know his love for you. He wants you to take comfort in this image of a shepherd who seeks you out when you're lost, who binds up your broken limbs, who leads you into the green pastures, who lays you down to rest beside the still waters, who carries you when you can't carry yourself anymore. But I suspect that some of us are like me. And man, sometimes we follow the shepherds. And for darn sure, sometimes Jesus is just my consultant and just your consultant instead of your kingly shepherd. So I want you to take comfort in this passage this week. I encourage you to do that. God wants you to do that. But I'd invite you to ask the question, who really is your shepherd? In the decision you're facing this week, who really is your shepherd? And if you say Jesus, is he your shepherd? Or merely a consultant? Jesus, how we thank you for this intimate language of a shepherd. And, um, you know, we romanticize it a lot, I guess, and because it, that helps us. It helps us to know your love. It helps us to feel safe, to feel comfort, to um, have hope when we feel like we're wandering and you seek us out and, and all of that stuff. And we're so thankful for that. But Jesus, we don't want to forget the other side of being a shepherd, that you are an autocrat. That you lead the sheep, you say when to move, you say where to go, you say what to do, you determine our fate. All kinds of voices cry out to us, Lord, every day, every hour. And sometimes um, we can get confused and inadvertently or sometimes deliberately listen to that wrong voice. And the truth is, Lord, we're here today because that, that's really, in the core of our being, that's not what we want. We, we want to hear your shepherd's voice, Jesus. And I pray that you give us the courage, that you give us the humility, that you give us the desire that as we hear your voice, we hear not the voice of a consultant we can take or leave. 
but the voice of our shepherd king who brings us life. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.